you so much. Please take your Bibles if you would. Find Acts chapter 8. We're going to begin reading verse 25. Acts chapter 8, 25. We'll read the last half of that chapter. We appreciate you being here today. Thank you for coming and being part of our 8.30 worship service today. Know that the Lord has great things in store for us today and all day as we've come into his house and his place to worship. We appreciate Jason leading us in worship. Aaron and Mary and uh, 30 of their closest friends are gathered together or more. Uh, one of our uh, classes are on a retreat, marriage retreat this weekend. And uh, this is the class retreat that has, this is the class that has all the children. So them and their children gone. We might miss some of them today, but we did tell them that we pray for them. So in just a moment, we're going to be able to do that. We do want to encourage you, maybe remind you that a couple of weeks ago, we have gone public now with what we're calling our Responding in Faith campaign. And that is that uh, we're having a three-year campaign that's taking place in order that we might retire all of our debt and more. And if we reach our goals, we'll not only retire the debt, but we'll begin to prepare for many future ministries, plans, and growth that uh, we anticipate coming uh, in the years to come. Lots of things that are happening. We're going to have, working backwards, our first fruit Sunday, begin giving on the first Sunday in April. A couple of weeks before that, we're going to have uh, what's going to be calling our commitment day. Uh, days before that, we're in the midst of our 40 days of praying. So here's only thing that you need to remember right now, besides praying for the 40 days, is that this week, we have seven meetings happening in different homes. Many of you have already signed up. If you've not signed up already, we are making room in some of those. You might notice there right in front in your pew, there's a, a card that is there that has a place to where you can check on there to come. It's about an hour meeting and has food, so you can't beat that. And uh, come and be a part beginning tomorrow night, going through Friday night. And uh, we've got a place for you uh, for you to sign up, and you can fill that. We want to make it just as easily as possible. You can fill that out and give it to one of our staff or one of our greeters as you leave today. You can even fill it out and leave it in your seat. And we'll come by and pick that up. Uh, just want to be able to have some awareness of who all is coming this week. And we'll be praying and preparing for that as well. We are in finishing up our sermon series on Who's Your One. We have had in our last three weeks and six services every Sunday. Someone, sometimes many, have come. They've laid names here on the altar. We have about 300 names. I have not counted every one of them, but just kind of, uh, as I've glanced at them, counted through just a little bit and prayed through. But uh, 250 to 300 names have been laid here. We want to continue to be praying for, not just this month, but be praying for someone you know who has lost or unchurched and continue to look for opportunities to invite and share the good news of Jesus into this service. If you have a name that you'd like to come lay on the altar or if you just like to come and pray for someone, maybe you've already put that name down there. We want to kind of create an atmosphere where you feel comfortable to come to the altar and to pray. Uh, for someone you know who is lost, unchurched, or who is hurting, we encourage you to do that very thing. We're in Acts chapter 8 and verse 25. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word today and then remain standing as we pray? Acts chapter 8 and verse 25 says this. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, court of the official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And Now the, mess, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Verse 38 reads, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Would you remain standing while we pray together? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come into your house. Father, we pray for all those who are here in this worship service today. We pray, Father, that even now that our ears and our minds and our hearts might be attuned to what you would have to say to us. We thank you for our time of worship. We thank you for the praises and prayers that have been lifted thus far. We pray, Father, for how you're going to continue to be at work. We pray for our Sunday school class where we have many of our young adults who are in the marriage retreat, Father, and coming back today. We pray for safe travel. We pray, Father, for their worship today that they're having together. We pray, Father, that it also might be uh, spirit anointed and that they might uh, truly have a time of uh, bringing glory to your name and hearts being transformed and being brought closer to you and closer to one another. And now, Father, we pray, may the words of my mouth, meditation of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Precious name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Well, maybe you have heard, maybe not, but there's a uh, new Top Gun movie coming out this summer called Top Gun Maverick. Uh, it's been 34 years since the last, uh, the first Top Gun movie came out, proving, I guess, that uh, Tom Cruise never ages. But also we have probably in that, uh, in that movie, we have the iconic line, maybe from that movie, maybe from all the movies of the 80s, is that I feel the need the need for speed, and I imagine there will be faster jets and motorcycles and uh, planes uh, going out in that movie as it is in the 21st century. The last movie was a century before, believe it or not, and so probably many of those things. Now, I'm not sharing this with you because I'm advocating or even want to advertise the movie, but I do want to advertise perhaps the fastest, the quickest man, perhaps one of these, those anyway, in the first century. We have the one known as Philip the Deacon, also known as Philip the Evangelist, not just because he called the fastest, not just because he outran a chariot, but because after the baptism that suddenly he was found in another city, but we call him one of the fastest because he was quick to respond and fast moving when it comes to action when God calls. God's not looking for those who will be reluctant to his call, but for those who are ready to do the work of God. Those who are quick to respond. This morning we're asking the question, what is the posture of men and women and young adults and young people and teenagers and students and boys and girls who will be quick to respond when God calls? Now, 
For illustration purposes, I want to use, or you think maybe about a starting block and a finish line. Running a race, there's a need for a good start. Many races are won and lost, perhaps because somebody has jumped the gun or maybe not a need for a good start, not a slow getting out of the blocks. We'll, we'll be talking more about what it means to be ready to move and what it is to start the race when it comes to serving and sharing Jesus. Also, you must finish well. In the spiritual race, you could see the finish line in getting to heaven. Now, in that case, the victory has already won. Jesus won the victory for us when he took our sins and placed the sins of our sins were placed upon Jesus on the cross of Christ. But you might also see the finish line as believers in the Lord Jesus as fulfilling God's purpose and the call that he has for you. Following your mission and your ministry well for which God has called you. Now, hopefully all of us perhaps maybe can relate to that illustration, especially those of you who are runners, because every day in the city of Auburn, I'm convinced somebody is running, even when it is raining. Have you seen folks out running in the rain here recently? I often, I want to, at least the thought comes to my mind, do they need a ride? I'd be glad to get them to where they need to be, but it warms my heart if you're a runner it warms my heart as I drive past you in my truck. And uh, I feel the need to rest after maybe five or ten miles. But we're not all physical runners. But imagine all of us as the body of Christ running to do the will of God and to be a part of a mission of leading someone into a growing relationship with Jesus. You've got your notes there. We're going to talk about being quick to respond to the call of God. First, if you're going to be quick to respond to the call of God, you'll have your ear toward heaven. You'll have your ear toward heaven, especially if you want to have a good start. You want to be ready for God's ready, set, go. Or you want to be ready for the, gun, the starting gun when it goes off. Be careful to listen, to move, and to do according to God's plan. Now, earlier in Acts chapter 8, we started in verse 25, but earlier in that chapter we have Philip. He's in Jerusalem. And then because of persecution, he moves to Samaria or goes to Samaria, northeast of Jerusalem. He's successfully sharing Jesus with large crowds of people who seem to be excited to hear the gospel. Yet he receives instruction from an angel to go southwest of Jerusalem to a desert road, the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's moving from large crowds to the desert. Now, we've already identified Philip as a layperson, not an apostle. He's not a professional minister. He's one of the original seven deacons. You might remember there is a, there is a disciple and apostle by the name of Philip. We talked just a couple of weeks ago. So we're talking about individuals who come to know Christ, Philip and Nathaniel, about three weeks ago. He was Philip the disciple. Now we're talking about Philip the deacon. But he's an unlikely person in an unlikely place like Samaria sharing the gospel. We talk about Samaritans quite often because they're brought up in the New Testament. We know that they were half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile, hated by the Jews. And that's where he's been preaching now. God sent him to an even more unlikely place on a desert road, not knowing what he would find. At least we're not giving information. Just go to the desert road. Now, if I'd been Luke, who's the writer of Acts, and maybe I'm interviewing Philip about the story that's taking place. And he's telling the story, and he says... Now, an angel told me to go to the road going down to Gaza. All right, wait right there. Tell me about this angel because I want to know what this angel looks like. We were doing a series sometime about 
sometime back about what, what does the Bible say, and I had you list, if you wanted to, many of you did, say, what would you like to hear what the Bible says? And among the top, maybe it was even in the top five, you wanted to know what the Bible says about angels. So we talked a little bit about the angels. We found that they were created beings made to bring glory to God. They serve people at God's request and sometimes to be God's messenger. But Philip did not give the details of his close encounter with a heavenly being, that which we might be curious about. He does not tell us what they are like. But he does give what's really important, the message from heaven. Now, messages from heaven, particularly in the Bible, become in many various forms. Sometimes it's like an angel, and sometimes an angel will give the message. Sometimes, like in the book of Daniel, it's handwriting on the wall. Sometimes, like people like Joseph, it was in a dream. For Samuel, you might remember, it was while he was laying in the bed and he heard the voice of God. For John, it was in a vision. For Elijah, it was a still, small voice. How some messages from heaven come to us is a little more certain today. You might say, well, those sounded pretty certain in that day. But I believe it's even more certain today because we have, we have the written word, we have the living word, and we have the indwelling word. Now, the written word is the Bible. We have that. That's the only thing that we can see with our eyes, which will last forever. The living word is Jesus, God in the flesh, who has come and spoken to us and given us example. And then we have the indwelling word, which is the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. Also, that we might be able to hear from God when he calls. Now, back during the days, and some of you will remember this and some of you won't, but back during the days when many people had CBs in their cars and not just truckers, and we'd have CBs and we'd listen and maybe talk to truckers and to one another, the thing that we would say is everybody had a handle and we would call out somebody with a handle and we'd say, good buddy, you got your ears on. Today, with uh, phones, you can buy a phone now that does not even have a jack that you can plug into an earplug because they want you to spend a couple of hundred dollars more and buy some of the wireless earphones that you can have. It's the way to the future. It's the ways in which we're going. It's okay to be wireless. It is not okay to be wordless. Be sure that as a child of God, you're plugged in through the written word, through the living word, and through the indwelling word. May you have your spiritual ears on and tuned to what God had to say to you today. May you not be so tied to the things on this earth that you are not, cannot hear when God calls, do not ready to, cannot recognize his voice. May you not be so tied down that you could not pull up stakes if he asked you to go, and may you be free to do what he asked you to do. May you have a prayer life, and may it be such that not only do you bring your petitions to God, but may it be that during your prayer time that you find and you understand that's how you can really listen and hear from God. We want to bathe every step and everything that we do in prayer. We certainly want to do that as a church. It's one reason that we're doing our 40 days of prayer, that we're, if you're not already, jump right in. We're in... Uh, we're either day 14 or 19, I forget, but we're in a day right now. We're asked, this morning you were asked if you're getting the emails or if you're going through the brochure that we gave with the 40 days of prayer, we're asked that you might pray, or excuse me, that you might ask God to help you to rejoice, pray, and to be able to follow him more closely. What can you do to hear God more clearly? Plug in, plug into the word. Maybe in your notes you need to write something down. If you want to be able to hear more of God more clearly, where would you need to plug in more? 
is in your prayer life, in your study of God's Word, is in your actions and attitudes that perhaps need to be turned over to Jesus? Do you need to confess sin? Is there something that's preventing you from hearing from God? So, if you want to be quick to respond, you'll have your ear toward heaven, but also you'll have your feet ready to move, ready to run. Let me commend you that you find your feet in this place on the Lord's day. This is preparation for where you're going to find your feet the rest of this week. But may I submit to you when you walk into this room today, this is not the finish line, but this is more like the starting block to the rest of your week. And, and the reason I say that is because sometimes when I begin to ask people outside the church about their faith and even sometimes inside the church, inevitably they will talk to me about their going to church or their lack thereof because for some people the totality of their faith or their religious experience is about whether they are in church on Sunday or not. But what we find and what we understand from God's Word, uh, we know that while I think as a pastor church, the church attendance is important, but we know and we understand that this is the place in which we come so that we might be ready for what God has in store for the future. Listen, if it's been true of you that the totality of what you feel like to be a good person is to be in church, may that be a change today. For now on, may you see what we do here on Sundays in Bible study and worship and fellowship is not the finish line but a starting block preparing us for what's going to come. For while church attendance is important, it's about living, growing, and moving relationship with Jesus. In Acts chapter 8, Philip certainly had busy feet, which were on the move. He's in Jerusalem, then he finds himself in Samaria. When the angel told him to go to the desert road to Gaza, verse 27 that we read said that he arose and went on the road that left Jerusalem, went to Gaza, and then to Egypt, and then to other parts of Africa. There, here we, he sees a traveler. Here's what we know about the traveler. He was an important man, secretary of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He was a religious man. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was on his return trip. He was a learned man. What did he have in front of him? He had a scroll... How strange it would be if it was scroll was in his own language, so it's probably in the Hebrew language. And here he is from Africa, but he's reading in Hebrew. And he was either rich or powerful because it would have been rare to possess such a scroll and for him to have it and for him to be able to take it with him. And he was a searcher of spiritual truth. He had not found in Ethiopia that which would satisfy his spiritual hunger. So he had heard about the God of the Jews and come to worship. There were some who were called God-fearers, who were not Jews, but they believed in the God of the Jews. But for the Ethiopian, he was on his way back home, and he was leaving disappointed. And so far, his journey had not satisfied his hunger for the spiritual. And he's reading from Isaiah the prophet, but he could not understand it. Have you ever opened your Bibles and began to read, maybe in the Old Testament particularly, and have a hard time understanding what it says? Well... If you will go back, and if you will read again, and if you'll put Jesus in the passage, it becomes a bit clearer. In reading through the Bible here recently, I came to the part of uh, First Chronicles. 
in the uh, first nine chapters, nine chapters of First Chronicles are simply names of who, who begot who and then who begot who. Talk about something that will bless your heart. And I'm tempted sometimes to skip over those parts and read it. But as I read it here recently and I put Jesus in it, it, re it reminded me in the light of the birth of Christ how intentional God was in the Jesus genealogy. And that I can trust that he is intentional in my life as well. What was the problem with the Ethiopian as he was reading? Well, he'd never been introduced to Jesus. So he didn't understand it without Jesus being part of the passage. The psalmist said in Psalm 14, verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. This helps us to understand about those who live in distant lands who've never heard the name of Jesus. You see, while God was working on Philip's life, he was also watching the journey of the Ethiopians so that on that desert road there would be a cataclysmic heavenly appointment. We see why God's working in your life. And if we allow God to be at work in our life, we can know at the same time God's working in somebody else's life, somebody who needs to hear an encouragement for you, somebody who needs to be influenced, or somebody who needs to hear the good news of the gospel, and another heavenly appointment will take place. This time, Philip, while he's on the road, this time the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. Perhaps just like the Spirit speaks to us without an audible voice for most of us, but with an inclination and a desire that burns in the heart. The Holy Spirit said, go to the chariot. Did you see what Philip did? He ran. Granted, it may have not have been a fast-moving chariot of war, but probably a slow-moving caravan, but he ran to do the will of God. Too many of us are like Jonah when God calls. We might run, but we run in the opposite direction. Or we begrudgingly slowly move toward God like a child whose turn it is to take out the garbage and you might get it done, but it's not going to be early and it's not going to be fast. The next time you feel the inclination, talk to a neighbor, to speak to a coworker, to give encouragement to a classmate, to talk to somebody that you've run into maybe for the very first time. Don't hesitate to follow, either to share the good news of the gospel or simply to be able to begin to open a door so that you might be able to establish a relationship. How many of you on Sunday mornings hang on to sheets for as long as possible and stumble to the breakfast table to the shower only to rush to make it? Well, for this crowd, it wouldn't be the Sunday school 20 minutes late because you all got up early anyway today. But if that's, if that's our attitude, sometimes toward even coming to the worship, may it not be our attitude toward the call of God. Which best describes your response when God's calls? Which best of these describes your response? Do you run the other way? Do you move slowly or do you go quickly? God's looking for those who do not run away or do not move slow, but those who run toward God and doing His work. Let me ask you if you, I know it's basketball, soon to be baseball season, but uh, if you go to an Auburn football game, do you like to go early? And why do you like to go early? For those of us who are football, Auburn football fans, and even if you're an Alabama fan, they're playing Auburn, you want to go early probably because deep inside, you want to see the eagle fly. And every time you go to a football game, the eagle always flies, but it's always good, it's always inspiring, and it's never quite the same, and it never gets old. Well, next time when you are scurried in early to see the eagle fly, would you remember this? 
Have your feet move quickly to do God's will because you don't want to miss out because it never gets old and it's never quite the same. Later, Philip disappears miraculously and the Bible says he found himself. And I like that phrase, found himself, like he was lost and the Holy Spirit took him. And we don't know when it says the Holy Spirit took him away whether miraculously suddenly he's in another city or whether he just followed the Holy Spirit and kept walking until he, he was there. But he found himself there and he shares Jesus in every city from there to Caesarea, about 70 miles. Romans chapter 10 and verse 15 quotes actually from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 52, and it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Where will your feet be found this week? May they be ready to move when God's called. Next, we learn from Philip about being prepared. We, you will have your eyes focused on Scripture. You will have your eyes focused on Scripture. When Philip came alongside the chariot, he heard the Ethiopian reading and he recognized it. How did Philip recognize the Scripture? Because he knew God's Word. He was a man of the Word of God. Now, we're Baptists, we're Southern Baptists, and we want to be known by something more than just business meetings and covered dish suppers. If there are three things which traditionally that we are known by, that we should be known by, I believe it would be these three things. I believe it would be missions, evangelism, and that we're people of the book. We're people of the word. We have in our churches, sometimes January Bible studies and summer Bible studies. We have Bible studies throughout the week. We focus in on vacation Bible school. We know you've been a part of a Southern Baptist church. You know that we are people of the book and we want to be well grounded in the scripture. Followers of Jesus or to be known as people of the book, not so that we can impress others, so that we are better equipped to know and do God's will. Our eyes are on a lot of different things during the week, whether they're on television or Internet or uh, things that we just see as we go out throughout the week on other people sometimes and books and some of it good, some of it not. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? So we might be able to understand God and the world around us and ourselves we need to keep before our eyes the Word of God. It will help us to interpret the world in which we live and help us to be able to interpret ourselves and be prepared for that which is to come. And, and we need also the next generation to be people of the book. And a lot of that will depend on us. I mentioned Jonah here a few minutes ago. And you know, everybody, most everybody knows the story of Jonah. He was the reluctant prophet. When God called, he ran the other way. God got his attention when he was swallowed by a well. And he went on and he preached to the people of the city of Nineveh. He preached and the people repented and God forgave and saved the city. That all took place about 700 B.C. In 600 B.C., a generation later, a new generation of Ninevites come along. And they become a wicked city again. Another prophet preaches and prophesies destruction. This time they do not repent and they are destroyed. The book of Nahum is about the coming destruction of the Ninevites who were destroyed in 612 B.C. This is not just Bible stories. This is history that takes place. What happened? Well, these Ninevites that Jonah preached to, they were fine at securing their own salvation. And like many churches today, they took care of themselves. But they forgot to tell others about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. 
We need other people and we need the next generation to be people of the book. We need others to know. Which leads us to the next lesson we learn about quick response. You will have your lips declare Jesus. I notice sometimes that you leave sermon notes behind. The other day I found somebody's sermon notes that they had written behind. I won't talk about the notes that you're writing to one another, but uh, in this particular sermon, those looked like maybe a child had written in, and every blank they had written in the name of Jesus. Well, that's a good guess. As a matter of fact, that's, that's pretty accurate because everything that we say and everything that we do needs to be about Jesus. If we wish to respond to the call of God, we'll be people who talk about Jesus. The Ethiopian read from the passage of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, I've noticed that many Bible scholars that feel like this was the, just the most accurate place, the perfect Old Testament passage to tell someone about Jesus, and perhaps they're right. But every passage in the Old Testament, certainly the New Testament as well, that help us to talk about Jesus. What an opportunity for Philip as he was asked the ideal question for a soul winner. Who's the prophet talking about, himself or another man? And in our imaginations, we can see Philip, who's asked to come and sit in the chariot, so it wasn't, no, it wasn't a small chariot as he comes and he sits beside the Ethiopian and maybe in between them is the scroll of Isaiah or maybe they're holding it there as they're beginning to talk and he's asked, who is the man? And we can imagine that conversation that takes place as it just says that he began with that scripture and began to tell him about Jesus. But we can imagine he said maybe something like this. He wasn't just talking about any man. But he's talking about the one who is the son of God, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. Look earlier in the scroll and you find that his name is also called Emmanuel, God with us. Then look here at this place in the scroll of Isaiah. There his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh, come to take away the sins of the world. He lived a perfect life for 33 years and preached with authority the good news of God's love. Killed many cast out demons, fed thousands. He was betrayed and arrested. And they put him on trial where they lied about him, whipped him and spat upon him. But, as it says in Isaiah chapter 53 that where you're reading today, but like a sheep to the slaughter and his lamb before its shear is silent, he opened not his mouth. He would not speak in his own defense for he endured suffering for our sake and for the whole world. He did not open his mouth because not only was earth watching but also the entire heavenly host. All of heaven watched as the blessed Son of God was tortured at the hands of sinful men, the very men for whom he gave his life. The seraphim watched, and the cherubim watched, the ones that Isaiah said that he saw in his vision, in the scroll that you're holding. Twelve legions of angels paused from their heavenly duties, all with drawn swords standing at the edge of heaven, waiting for the Savior to say one word. But if he'd said one word, just one word, maybe in something like now, all of heaven would have engaged, all the wrath of heaven would have come at once to do justice, the hills would have been flattened, the seas would have turned red because of the blood that would have flowed. Armageddon would have taken place before a ransom was paid. But in his humiliation, his justice was taken away, Isaiah wrote. But Jesus carried his cross up Calvary's mountain and did the most loving act in history. He took our place and gave his life for you and me. But that wasn't the end of the story. That wasn't the end of Jesus for 
Jesus had victory over Satan and death, and three days later he rose and he's alive today. And as Isaiah said, of his kingdom there will be no end, and whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. And we can imagine in that conversation he said, now that you know the story of the good news, would you like to respond and know that you have a home in heaven and that you can have an abundant life that is full of purpose? The question that the Ethiopian asked is one of those ideal questions that people wanting to share their faith hope to get. Not long ago, I was talking to a man who was sharing some of his personal problems with me, and he was talking, and as came my turn to talk, I just simply told him the difference that Jesus had made in my life. And before I could ask him the question, he said, can you tell me how I can know that I have a home in heaven and Jesus in my heart? I said, oh, it will happen to you. Just as sure as I'm standing here, it will happen to you if you're quick to respond to God's call. Someone will ask one day an ideal question like, how can I get to heaven? What's different about you? Can you help me with one of my problems? The question is, will you be ready to talk about Jesus? Will you know what to say? Can you share the plan of salvation? Men and women and boys and girls and teenagers, let me encourage you to tell others about Jesus. Have a plan. It might be to have a gospel tract with you. It may be to have a New Testament. It could be that you memorize a couple of verses that you can share. It should be that you're ready to share your Jesus story. Be ready to explain the good news of the gospel. And a person who is ready and quick to follow God will be ready to speak about Jesus. There's still a fifth position. If you'll be quick to respond, you will be in touch with others. I don't know if we'd call Philip a Baptist, but he was a baptizer. He got into the chariot with the Ethiopian, sat with him along his journey. Well, we're all traveling together on this planet that is hurled through the universe. We're simply sharing along the road a spiritual desert where the oasis of living water is found. Jesus said, I am the living water. Let all those who thirst come and drink freely. The Ethiopian was thirsty for the living water, which only Jesus could provide. I certainly do believe that the Lord puts inside each person a hunger for God, which cannot be quenched any other way without Jesus. We need to be in touch with people, sitting alongside them on their journey so that we might share with them the good news. And at just the right time, as if appointed by heaven, they came across a real oasis in the desert. And the Ethiopian asked, what prevents me from being baptized? Now left out of most modern translations is verse 37. And while it may not have been a part of the original text, it surely provides the essence of what happened that day. Philip answered, if you really believe, the Ethiopian responded, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was taken into the water. He was immersed in believer's baptism. And 2,000 years later, that we are still baptizing people who profess Jesus as Savior for the same three reasons. Baptism symbolizes your identification with Jesus. Baptism symbolizes your cleansings of sin and your new life. Now, baptism is not a ticket to heaven. And you don't get to heaven just simply because you're baptized, nor does it keep you from heaven if you're not. Biblical baptism is always after you've committed your life to Jesus by immersion, and it symbolizes these things. Now, there have been many who have testified in their Christian walk 
that they knew that there was something that was missing until they were biblically baptized. And I'll encourage you, you may be a believer in the Lord Jesus. And what we do in baptism is a part of our uh, being obedient. It's uh, signifying that we're identifying with Christ. If you need to be baptized, biblically baptized, follow the way in which baptism was taking place in the New Testament, then we encourage you to follow the Lord's direction when it comes to baptism. When the baptism was over, Philip was taken away and the Ethiopian went home rejoicing. We don't know what happened to the Ethiopian, but surely the joy that he had could not be kept to himself and the gospel was spread literally, as Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We do know that Christianity began to be spread very early in Ethiopia and other parts of Africa from some unknown source or maybe not so unknown. In the town where I was serving as pastor, they not too far from here, they opened up a new restaurant called Sweetie's Country Kitchen. And, you know, everybody in the small town, at least for a time, would always try out the new restaurants. They didn't always make, but... Uh, or keep going. But I remember the first time that I walked in, the lady behind the counter, I said, are you Sweetie? She said, I sure am. And uh, they said, but everybody calls it, my name's Doris. And uh, so I remember we got to talking to Doris, got to know her, and we'd go to the restaurant from time to time. I asked Doris one time, I said, listen, we like to have Sunday night fellowships about once a quarter to where we eat and have a worship service. Can we have it here at your restaurant? She said, oh, I'd love for you to come and do that. And said, she said, you wouldn't have to close anybody. Anybody could come, but you understand, we're going to stand here in the middle. We're going to sing and preach a little bit. And she said, oh, I'd love for you to do that. So we came, and we had our, we did it maybe two or three times maybe there at her restaurant. And every time I walked into the door, she probably said to me about a dozen times, I just love your church. Now, she had never been to church. I invited her. We ever close on Sunday, I'm going to come to your church. It probably took about the 12th time that she said that to me, that something spoke to me that I needed to ask her about her faith. And I said, Doris, as a pastor, I'm glad that you like our church and love you to come to church, but more important than that is a personal relationship with Jesus. I said, what if I could tell you today that you could know for sure that you had a home in heaven, had Jesus live in your heart, would that be good news? She said, oh, that would be the best news. I said, can I share with you how to do that? And I share with her plan of salvation, how she could put her faith in the Lord Jesus, ask Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And then I asked her the question, I said, Doris, would you like to pray to receive Jesus today? She said, hold on. And she got up from the table. Three or four of us were around the table. I kind of looked at them. I thought, well, I must have said something wrong. In a moment, she came back, and there she brought with her a friend of hers. And she said, I wanted my friend to be able to hear me become a Christian today and to share and ask Jesus into my heart. She prayed to receive Jesus, asked him into her heart. And I, we talked about her being baptized. And, boy, it's early on in my ministry. I probably didn't think outside the box. I just thought baptism would be done on Sunday. I probably would have arranged some other way to be able to do that. But it was just a few weeks after that meeting. I got a phone call. It was on a Tuesday morning, I remember. Why well, I remember that, I don't know. But it was a deacon in our church. and He said, you know Doris, who owns Sweetie's Country Kitchen, said she was accidentally shot last night and she died. Somebody cleaning their gun in the house next to her. She was outside in the yard, and, uh, and it went off, and it killed Doris. I was not fast at responding. 
but I'm glad that I was able to receive another chance. What do you do to have to be quick to respond today? Do you need to have your ear toward heaven? In other words, do you need to have a better prayer life? Do you need to have your feet ready to move and ready to run? In other words, do you need to be submissive to the Lord Jesus? Do you need to have your eyes focused on God's word? Do you need to spend more time in personal study and study with others? Do you need to have your lips declare Jesus? Are you prepared to tell someone about who Christ is? Do you need to be in touch with others? Whether it be someone that you just come in contact with that you haven't thought of, or be sure that you have someone who's your one that you're seeking to share with each and every day. Respond quickly to God's call today, and then when you leave this place, be ready to touch people who need to love, need to know the love of Jesus. Or do you need to respond to God's call of salvation today? We're asking you to respond. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, today you can call upon Him. Let's bow together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, that someone came and shared with us the good news of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the story of Philip that we have today, the Ethiopian who became a believer in the Lord Jesus and was baptized. And Father, we pray that today that we might be quick to respond to your call. If there's someone here, Father, who needs to respond to the call of salvation, may today they be ready to call, be ready to answer that call. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Help us to be ready to follow you. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen. 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 Would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of response today. Brother Bobby and I are down here at the front to be glad to talk with you about any decision that you need to make. You need to come asking Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Maybe you need to come for baptism. You have already accepted Jesus, but you need to make that public. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you. This is how we do it. You come, let us know that you want to come be a part of the Parkway Baptist Church family. We'll be glad to present you even today. Our altar is open for any of your prayers, but if you'd like to come, maybe you have someone or someone else that you'd like to come placing on the altar. We're going to leave those to the end of the month. So it'll be a few more days this week that you can come and pray for these. But if you'd like to come and pray for one, you certainly can. You come as the Lord responds. <laughs>